Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com easter24. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event or trend. Today we're talking about the happy topic of fasting. Normally at this point you'd hear a, a, a lovely voice say, Hi, I'm Morgan Lee, but Morgan's on a vacation, a much-deserved one in Mexico. We trust she's enjoying herself and that will be her precious moment for next week. I'm Mark Galley. I'm CT's Editor-in-Chief and I'm joined by my producer, who's also my co-host today, Richard Clark. Hey, Richard. Hey, Mark. How are you? Good. Good. So today we're joined with our guest, Don Whitney. Don has been professor of biblical spirituality and associate dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky since 2005. Before that, he held a similar position at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri for 10 years. He's the founder and president of the Center for Biblical Spirituality. Don, thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm glad to be with you and glad you still remember how to say Louisville correctly. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so I, so full disclosure, I took a class with Don on spiritual formation. It was kind of what made him come to mind when we talked about what we were talking about today. Yeah, the reason why we've invited Don is because he seems to know a little bit about a topic we're kind of interested in right now. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie, so wrote John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic Cost of Discipleship put it this way, if there is no element of asceticism in our lives, if we give free reign to the desires of the flesh, we shall find it hard to train for the service of Christ. When the flesh is satisfied, it is hard to pray with cheerfulness or to devote oneself to a life of service which calls for much self-renunciation. Now, cheerfulness is not the word we usually associate with self-renunciation except when it's over. I, for one, find myself rather cheerful when delighting in apple pie. So what in the world are these men talking about? Christians of a more liturgical bent are in the middle of an ascetic season called Lent, discipling those desires of the flesh, and hopefully they're doing it with a measure of cheerfulness. But you don't have to be an Anglican or have high regard for Lent to appreciate the fact that Jesus didn't merely command fasting, but instead just assumed his followers would fast. When talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he began, "...and when you fast." So why does Jesus and Piper and Bonhoeffer and a host of witnesses, why do they all think fasting is a normal part of the life of faith? And what difference does it really make? And then if we were to get good answers to questions like those, how exactly do you do it? What constitutes fasting? And how can you do it so that it really does increase our hunger for God and bring some cheer into our lives? Don, right off the bat, let's get down to the basics. What is fasting in the first place? Yeah, I could give a more nuanced definition, but uh, very simply, Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Okay. What would be some of those spiritual purposes? Well, uh, we see a number of them uh, in the New Testament. We fast 
in fact, that's the most important thing about it is to fast for a biblical purpose. The biggest mistake in fasting is to fast for no purpose that comes to mind when you get hungry. You just think your only thought is how much longer will this last? But you fast for the purpose, for example, of strengthening prayer is one that's found probably most often in Scripture. A fast in order uh, to seek God's guidance. Fast for the purpose of expressing grief. Three of the first four references in the Bible to fasting are uh, for that purpose. Uh, fast in order to seek deliverance uh, or protection from enemies to express uh, repentance and the return to God. Fasting as a way to humble yourself before God. Uh, fasting for the purpose of expressing concern for the work of God, that you so want someone to be saved or a prayer to be answered or for God to, to bless in your church. Fasting in order to minister to the needs of other people. The time or the money you'd normally spend on eating to minister to other people. All of these are biblical reasons, purposes for fasting. So help me here. I think these are that's a great list. But why do I need? To, well, how does fasting help? In other words, uh, this, you you fast to seek God's guidance. Why not just pray, God guide me? While we fast to express our grief, why not just why not just read one of the Psalms? It's a Psalm of grief. Yeah, well, that would be the normal way, uh, in, in fact. But I, I would remind you, as as various writers have noted, is that fasting is God's idea. Fasting wasn't developed by the church apart from Scripture. It's, in fact, it's, a, it's an author named Arthur Wallace, W-A-L-L-I-S, a book called God's Chosen Fast. Perhaps the only book, especially from an evangelical perspective, written on fasting in the first half of the 20th century uh, is the one who said, fasting is a means God has chosen for a person to make his voice to be heard on high. So it's as though God says, if you sense the need for greater power in your prayers, here's what you do. You, you add fasting. And we know that fasting doesn't earn anything from God. It's, it's not as though God is saying, if you'll make yourself suffer more, then I will hear you. It, that's contrary to the gospel. Nevertheless, we remember fasting is God's idea. And I think it, it does add an element of importunity into our praying. Uh, for example, how many things do we pray for? And a day later, we couldn't tell you that we'd prayed for it the day before. At the moment, we ask for something, but it, that's the last time we think of it almost. And if you're willing to fast, that, that brings out an urgency in your own heart, revealing it to yourself, how, really, how badly do you want this? As Wallace said, using a means God has chosen to make your voice to be heard on high. Yeah, so you're essentially saying, like, when you fast for something, first of all, you should be fasting for something, but also it sort of demonstrates that that thing is a really big deal to you. Yes, and that we're using a means God has appointed in Scripture. It's not a matter of earning it, but it is a matter of a means God has given, and we choose to use that means. You know, if, if God has said, this is here, and this is, can be a blessing to you, then there are certainly times when we ought to avail ourselves of that blessing. But obviously, it can't be the norm, because it is, an, and this is important to say, because there are some people who have legitimate, even maybe say sinful eating disorders, who will sometimes hear teaching on fasting and say, oh, I'm, I don't have this problem. I'm fasting. And they can use, take it to an unbiblical extreme. And so obviously it is, it is the will of God for every one of us almost every day of our lives to eat. That's how God made us to survive. That's the message so, I want to leave this podcast with. That's a really yeah, good message. Go. <laughs> and, and clearly, I mean, he, he said, through, uh, Paul said to Timothy, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. The norm is not fasting. The norm is the enjoying before God, you know, quorum Deo, and, and enjoying God's gifts as a means of His grace and a means of enjoying Him and a, and a prompting of, of thanking Him for these things. 
So because obviously you can't fast all the time or you would die. It is therefore the will of God for all of us almost every day of our lives to eat. But is there never a time, for example, you want God to answer a prayer more than you want lunch? Is there never a time that you want God to save someone more than you want the next meal? Is there never a time you want God to move in your ministry, to bless your church more than you want the next meal? Well, those are the times then when the appropriate God-given way to express that is by fasting. Would you um, agree from your theological perspective that something happens in fasting that opens us up spiritually? So, for example, the example would be uh, guidance. In other words, we can pray for guidance and and then spend some time listening to see if we get some sense of guidance from God, or we read a text and we read with an open heart. But when we fast, does that actually open up the mind more to help us to hear better, for example? Well, fasting does not guarantee we'll get the guidance from God that we want, but I think it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. In all the spiritual disciplines, fasting clearly being one of those biblical spiritual disciplines— Each of them has a unique place. Otherwise, it it wouldn't be necessary. It wouldn't be in the Bible. If if you could get the same grace through prayer that you could through fasting, we wouldn't see fasting in the Bible. It would be redundant. So I think there, there are unique blessings to fasting. I'm trying to think of a sense in which blessing your food is as prominent in Scripture as fasting is. It seems like almost that sort of thing we think of, we hold to so rigidly as Christians or a lot of Christians, this idea of blessing food, which I think is a healthy practice. But we tend to practice more consistently and more rigidly than this practice of fasting, which seems to be talked about more in Scripture. As I said a moment ago, the norm is eating. It's the will of God for almost every day, almost all of us to eat every day. And therefore, we're going to be, and and if you're just counting up times, there are a lot more occasions to ask God's blessing on the food than there is to fast. So although fasting is mentioned more often in the Bible than something as important as as baptism, by my count, something like uh, 77 times for fasting and uh, 75 for baptism, Uh, It's amazing what a famine of awareness there is of it, how little teaching there is on the subject. But nevertheless, just in terms of that comparison, Richard, that, you know, asking God to bless the food, we, you know, if we eat three times a day and we fast once a week, well, you you know, you do the math and you can see which one we're going to actually experience more often. Actually, what I'm doing, Don, is I am fasting from the idea of fasting. There you go. Hey, that's, that's novel. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, (laughs) I'm sure you've never heard that one before. Exactly. Let's pause on that for a moment, because one of the reasons why we all find this difficult is, unlike any of the other spiritual disciplines, we actually feel this one in our bodies, and it and it brings about unpleasant sensations that that no one wants. So that's why there's not a a very natural appeal if you will, to fasting. With with reading the Bible, uh, there are certain people that are more intellectually hungry than others. There are more people that are just more uh, literarily inclined than others, though all of us are to read the Bible. And, And we can say that about most of the disciplines, but there's really very little in us naturally that would incline anyone to to fast. So uh, thus, I think we all have that kind of aversion, and that's why it is a discipline, but that's why we all identify with, with a joke like yours, Mark. Yes, no, that's a very 
good point, and, and it's exactly why we joke about it, why I joke about it, because I'm so uncomfortable with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't joke so much about it. So in the case of Mark, and honestly myself, who probably, I guess we don't fast very much. I mean, I don't know. You're probably not supposed I to go, announce it on a podcast no, when we do. Not, but not before men. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think we'll talk about that idea. But would you say we should set a regimen or just be more open to the idea? Like, what's the first step for people who are not like constant fasters? Well, really, that that's it's a blessing that's open to a person as often as they desire it, as often as they feel led to experience that. And so I don't think we can, the Bible doesn't tell us how long or how often we are to fast. In fact, in the Bible, and I have a collection of all these in a, in a place in my spiritual disciplines book, but fast, it lasted uh, one day, part of a day, one night fast, three day fast, seven day fasts, a 14 day fast, 40 day fasts, and fast of unspecified length. And all of these uh, that I've mentioned, I have Bible references for, there are, those are all mentioned. So strictly speaking, you can abstain from one meal for spiritual purposes, and that is a fast. So the length of the fast and the frequency of fasting is, is between you and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I do think there is some intrinsic power in fasting, as there is intrinsic power in prayer at some level, because when Jesus talks about a particular healing that he performed and the, and the disciples didn't, he talked about this sort of thing can only come out through prayer and fasting, is what he says. So I do think it is a means, like you're saying, Don, uh, that God has uh, given to us to actually gain insight and have spiritual strength in a way that uh, is not available to us otherwise. But let's talk about fasting from food, because you did you did specify that fasting is, biblical fasting is from food, but nowadays we hear people saying, well, food really isn't my problem, social media is, or uh, reading is, or too much TV. Well, there there is a broader definition of fasting for spiritual purposes where a person abstains from or denies himself the enjoyment of something other than food. As you said, a person might abstain from the media or a sport or a hobby or talking or sleep. Or I mean, from 1 Corinthians, you know, we have the example of fasting from sex uh, that a couple would agree upon. That That's, you know, explicitly mentioned in the Bible there. And others. So anytime we sense that an activity is exerting too much influence on our hearts or on our time or that we need to fast from it to regain a more biblical perspective. So it's appropriate then to speak of fasting from any legitimate freedom. And you have writers as theologically diverse as Richard Foster on the left and Martin Lloyd-Jones on the right who speak of fasting in this way, that is, from something other than food, another legitimate freedom. In the Bible, though, if we strictly limit ourselves to the Bible's examples and teaching, they only mention food. And we have passages, for example, in Colossians, Paul talks about those who are enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly. And fasting is a way of demonstrating both to ourselves and, and testifying to God that my belly is not my God. I have to eat. God made me so that I have to eat. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of demonstrating that I love God more than I love the very food that God made me to live on. And so there's a time, and one of the purposes I, I didn't mention earlier in the list was just to, to love and enjoy God. We fast for the purpose of enjoying God and saying, testifying that He really is our true food. As Jesus said in John 6, He is the bread of life. And so during that fast, we feast our souls on Christ and 
show that that is true food. That is the sustenance for our soul. We, we cannot, in this body, go without food forever, but we can testify every once in a while in a, in a tangible way that God is our great joy. Christ is the true bread of life, not the Big Mac. That does give me insight into my struggles with fasting, admittedly. The focus does fall upon what I'm giving up and what I wish I had, rather than focusing on the means towards which fasting is leading me, which is a closer relationship with God, which would make the the physical experience of denial. I wouldn't take it away, but it would certainly put it into a better perspective. It's like, I suppose I work out three or four times a week lifting weights so that when I do other physical activities at other times of the week, I feel better. So if I just think about the pain of the lifting of the weights without also thinking about what the goal of this is, it makes it an absolutely miserable experience. The single most important concept for people to take from this podcast is this. That is that to have a biblical purpose for your fast. And here's how it works. As you're fasting, your head aches, your stomach growls, and you think, man, I'm hungry. And your next thought is likely to be something like, oh, right, I'm hungry because I'm fasting today. (laughs) Now, the next thought, here's the turning point. The next thought is either going to be how much longer till this is over or, and I'm fasting for this purpose. So let me rewind that. So a person's headache, their stomach growls, man, I'm hungry. Oh, duh, that's right, I'm fasting today. The person who says, how much longer till this is over, is demonstrating it's just an endurance contest. It's self-centered. It's just how long till this is over. I'm trying to impress God by suffering for a while. And it's self-centered, not God-centered. What ought to happen is when I say, man, I'm hungry. Oh, that's right. I'm hungry because I'm fasting today. My next thought should be, and I'm fasting for this biblical purpose. Let's say your purpose is to pray for your spouse. Every time you get hungry throughout the day, that reminds you to pray for your spouse. And and back to your, your weights illustration, Mark, the way this fits in is, see, that's my goal. The goal is to pray for my spouse, and I want to be reminded to do that all day long. And so my hunger actually serves my greater purpose, which is to pray for my spouse. That's why you want to feel hungry when you fast, is because your hunger serves your greater purpose, a biblical purpose. And so if you don't have a biblical purpose solidly fixed in your mind that comes to mind every time you get hungry, it'll be a miserable, self-centered experience. This episode is brought to you by Church Salary. Coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy. There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? Get started at churchsalary.com.
obviously there's a lot of different ways you could sort of uh, apply a fast to your life. But when we think of Jesus fasting, we think of him like for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. He's pretty focused and he's like stepped away from everything that he's doing in order to just fast. And then you're talking about, you're talking about if you, if you fast in order to pray for your wife, you're praying for your wife a significant amount of time. I'm wondering if you think it's like better to do a fast as you go, or if that's, or if that's something like you should step away, if that should be like you set aside some time, maybe you take a day off and you fast that way. Is that inherently better somehow? Or is it, I guess I just, I feel like if I come to work fasting, I'm, I'm going to have a really hard time, like focusing on praying for my spouse, for instance, in the middle of all of the other things that I'm trying to, to do. And I'm also going to be annoyed, (laughs) you know, that I'm having to endure no food. What's the best way to handle that as like busy modern people? Number one, we can distinguish between several kinds of fasts in the Bible. They don't use these terms, but a normal fast is what we've been talking about thus far. There's a partial fast, which is very helpful for people who are pregnant, get migraines, they have, they're diabetic, in which they, they can partially fast and still participate. A complete fast, an absolute fast, is nothing by mouth, not even water. But the one you spoke of with Jesus, I would call that a supernatural fast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and different. that's what Moses did on the mountain. Elijah may have done the same thing. And, and absolutely, though, we can't say that the Bible does say twice that Jesus got hungry. It doesn't say he didn't get thirsty. But because of where he did this and, and so forth, I think there's reason to believe it, it was in the same category. And the point is that's unrepeatable. You can't go 40 days without water apart from supernatural calling and provision of God. So it, so that's that's the person who stepped away, to use your example. I, I would encourage people in, in two ways. Number one is for most people, unless they're in pastoral ministry of some time, the best day for them to fast on a regular basis would be the Lord's Day. The reason is because most people would probably not have to work on that day. They would have the opportunity perhaps for a lengthy nap in the afternoon. Uh, they could use that day in the time given from fasting to focus on some of the other spiritual disciplines, to read the Christian book they say they don't have time to read at other times, to serve other people. So I think that's the best day for most people because they don't have to work mostly, they have fewer pressures. But having said that, Richard, I don't want people to rule out a normal day unless, I mean, if they load trucks or if they're farmers or if they, you know, if they do a lot of physical labor, that's different. But for people who don't, I don't want them to rule out a regular day. And here's why. Because I think they will wait for a day that never comes. They're waiting for a day when the pastor is going to call a churchwide fast. It'll probably be on like some holiday, so I don't have to go to work. And everything's going to line up just perfectly. And that day, that day never comes. I mean, for one thing, what do we usually do on holidays? You we know, feast. We, we feast. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, yeah. not fast. So <laughs> yeah. if they don't even consider a normal day, the day will never come. Yeah. And it also creates that situation where you're like fasting for the sake of it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. If you wait for the church wide fast. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be an all day fast either. I mean, a person, a, a, you know, abstaining from one, one meal can be a genuine fast. So I think people would want to pretty soon work up to, to an entire day. But, but you know, that, that reveals a lot. And, and uh, in Isaiah, uh, one of the longest passages in the Bible on fast, uh, the Lord talked about how it revealed uh, the inner life of the 
of the people. It says, you, you fast. They were complaining to God, we fast and you're not answering our prayers. He said, yeah, but on the day you fast, you strike each other with, with wicked fists and, you know, your anger. And, you know, we could translate it as, yeah, you, you fast, but you yell at your wife, you know, and you yell at your coworkers and God's not going to bless that. We, we're cranky. We're irritable when we fast and that can show up at work. And, you know, we're that's not good. I mean, it's embarrassing, but maybe that's something we need to work on. Yeah, just a couple of practical suggestions along this line. In the Anglican tradition, certainly in the liturgical tradition, Orthodox, Catholic, and Anglican, there is a tradition of not eating anything before you take the Eucharist on Sunday morning. So there's kind of a mini fast there. Yes. And I do agree with your idea of a one meal stretching to two. Some people will fast uh, like the Muslims do. More, uh, they fast w- w- while the sun is up, and then when it's down, they, they eat during Ramadan. So It was common in the early church for the candidates to fast before their baptism as well, Okay, and then have a feast afterwards. Yeah, and that's a doable fast for a lot of people. Just uh, skip breakfast and lunch, and then uh, have, have dinner in the evening. Or our pastor recommends people, especially if they're doing something more physical or they're just not used to it, uh, uh, have a juice fast. That is to say, yes. uh, just, just have some orange juice or tomato juice during the day. And, you know, I tried when I was pastoring to fast on the Lord's Day, seeking the Lord's blessing on my preaching. But I, I found I couldn't because that was my hardest day. That that was my most physically demanding day. So for the pastors who are listening here, uh, they, they might consider the same thing. But the, the juice fast is important, too. And now we're, we're moving toward uh, what we might call a partial fast. So I don't know that a juice fast would be that. A normal fast would be liquids, uh, you know, but not food. You might have coffee, certainly water. You might have juice. And, and just to keep your blood sugar level up. And you know when you've crossed the line. I, I know, I've known people that, you know, say, well, they didn't eat anything, but they would actually eat cans of frozen juice, you know. And <laughs> and in their own mind, I think they knew they were crossing a line, but it was really pharisaical. You know, they were trying to be able to say, yes, I ate nothing, What would, and but they were trying to not feel hungry. And you know, if you're, if you're drinking three gallons of V8 juice to not feel hungry, or you're just having a glass in the middle of the day to keep your energy up, you know, it's it's between you and the Lord, and you, you know what your own heart is there. Okay, does uh, fasting, you've been doing it for a number of years consistently, I assume. Uh, does it get easier with practice, or is it still an ascetic discipline in the end? It, it may be a little easier, only because I'm a little more clear about the importance of a spiritual purpose, and I know that it's not merely something to be endured, but I still dislike hunger pains uh, as much now as ever. What would you, like, I'm curious about the concrete, like, payoffs for you. What have been sort of the results of, maybe this is thinking about it wrongly, but if so, that's also good to talk about. Like, what are the results of fasting? What do you find it's done for you concretely, uh, especially, like, over time? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't have any dramatic testimonies of, well, I fasted and did this and, and that happened. I, I may have forgotten some things over the years, but I, I don't have a clear dramatic answer to that. When I was pastoring, I used to fast for a while to see God's blessing on my preaching. And I, I don't recall any great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, you know, on those days. But I just know over time, I mean, there's a sense of, of, of experience with God that grows. There's an experience of continuity with the family of God throughout history. There's a growing sense of just participating more deeply in in biblical practices that is sweet and enriching. And I have a colleague that I uh, talk 
uh, I teach with who uh, had a lengthy fast about three or four years ago and had some dramatic, and, and he this is what he fasted for. He had some dramatic answers to prayer in his family and in his church, uh, so much so it really encouraged me toward a lengthy fast. I did not see the kind of dramatic answers he did, but uh, I do know of people very intimately uh, who could testify to some dramatic answers related to fasting. The few times I have fasted successfully at various times of life, I'm in a period now where I find it utterly frightening for some reason. <laughs> Why is uh, that? I'm curious. Why is I, it so frightening? I don't know. There are some areas of my Christian life that are are actually harder for me now than they were when I was younger. That's Fasting would be one of them. Yeah. Uh, giving uh, of my financial blessings to others. I still try to discipline myself to give a tithe, but I know I, I think a lot more about how I could spend that money <laughs> than I did when I was younger. <laughs> So I don't know what's going on with that. The older you get, the more you accumulate responsibilities like barnacles. Anything that that takes time and all the disciplines do really become more difficult in one sense as you get older. Do you think one of the reasons that God wants us to fast is this idea of weakness that I find myself like really suddenly very close to God whenever he sort of forces me into those moments of weakness when I'm having like, you know, a, a, just a really bad day and I have to kind of go home and confess that and repent of whatever or rely on him. Do you think like fasting sort of is an is a voluntary way of putting ourselves in those sort of weakness positions? Well, I think that one of the biblical reasons we see is to humble ourselves before God. Uh, I mean, just like kneeling can reflect a bodily sense of humbling yourself before God, although it's not automatic, as the old joke is, you know, you can be standing up on the inside. And just because you're fasting doesn't mean that you're humbling yourself, but it it certainly can be and is designed to be a means of humbling yourself before God. And one of the ways it works is when you start feeling hungry, you think, you know, just a little more of this and I'd be dead. <laughs> just a few, a few more days of this and and I would be dead. And I think I'm so sufficient. You know, I think I'm so strong and I'm so healthy and I'm so able to, to cut it through life. And boy, I just miss a few meals and, and I'm a goner. I'm, I'm thinking about the sort of typical fasts you see people taking for Lent, right? So right now people are taking a lot of fasts from things like social media, various other things that we all kind of secretly know are bad for us. One of the things that's different here is like we're actually fasting for something we know is good for us. And we're not going to die if we if we abstain from social media. It might be that's the a opposite. good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's absolutely like you're saying. It's a good gift of God and absolutely necessary for our existence. And it's like God says, and that's the very reason I want you to give it up every once in a while. That I'm your true sustenance. Exactly. Your... Yeah. Yeah. That, not that... to overly criticize people abstaining from social media. I'm yeah. sure it's a wonderful exercise. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, thank you for bringing in that last word again. Again, you can see I'm fixated on what's giving up, but I like your emphasis on the purpose, especially the purpose for becoming more intimate with God, glorifying God, seeking His face. Yeah. I think that really turns the whole nature of fasting around. It does. Every time you feel hunger, you, you the first thought needs to be, and I'm fasting for this biblical purpose. Otherwise, it's just an endurance contest. You're trying to impress God by suffering, and it's a miserable, self-centered experience. Okay, that's that's great. We want to take a moment to point out that Quick to Listen is made possible by subscribers of Christianity Today magazine. We offer redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. As a subscriber, you get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet and PDF editions of each issue, full web access to ChristianityToday.com, and an online archive that dates back to 1956. You can actually read our very first 
issue of Christianity Today magazine, which uh, thankfully I, I had nothing to do with. I don't know about you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Thank you but, very much. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's a good one. One of our best, I think. <laughs> No, it okay. was one of our best because it laid out the purposes. Actually, if you ever have a chance to read that issue, you'll be amazed at how closely we still adhere to the basic purposes that Carl Henry laid out back in the day. There you go. So um, we have a special deal for listeners. If you go to orderct.com slash quick to listen, um, that's orderct.com slash quick to listen. You'll get a special discount and a specific package specifically for podcast listeners. We've uh, put together some of our favorite articles. Go to orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, now we come to the portion of our show called Precious Moments, in which we talk about something that's bringing us joy. So we'll let our guests go first. What's bringing you joy, Don? Hey, well, it's a little idiosyncratic, uh, but maybe that's why it will be more interesting. Yeah, that's how I like um, it. I'm, uh, I, I've always been into uh, fountain pens. Uh, you know, real real man pens get ink out of a bottle and have been for a long time. So uh, 1st of March uh, is when I changed to my spring pens and inks. So I just uh, re-inked uh, four pens that I haven't used since last spring and uh, with spring colors. And uh, so bright green, for example, and so forth. So I enjoy that. Uh, another one is my grandson. We have uh, one child and she gave us a grandson uh, nine months ago and he is bringing us great joy. And just recently I've had a chance even in the last uh, week, four times here at the seminary, but also in Phoenix and Virginia to teach on praying the Bible and more and more except for spreading the gospel. I think God's put me on the planet to spread the message of praying the Bible. And I've just had a lot of chances to do that all over the country in the last week. And that brings me great joy to see the prayer lives of people instantaneously transform like that. What do you do with your fountain pens? Do you like write letters to people? Is that is that the primary use? A lot. I, I do write short notes and uh, grade papers. You know, just about anything uh, I, I need to do with it. Sign checks. Uh, so you're you're like using that fancy spring fountain pen to give people F's on tests. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've got a D men project that's uh, that's it's not looking good on right now. And, uh, that's so, brutal. Yeah, that's that's what I'm using. Yeah, but it's going to look pretty at least. Yes, yes, they will. They hopefully will feel better when they fail it. So. <laughs> Yeah, that is uh, such a cool little hobby. I have a friend who's into that. Yeah, well, when I was actually pastoring near your office there in Glen Ellen, that's where I and I was uh, using it for ministry purposes, writing uh, birthday notes to people every week. And, you know, it's interesting, too. I ask my students now regularly, except for special occasions, when was the last time you got a personal handwritten note? And you know what the usual answer is? Never. Never. And so it is the height of personal touch today. So if a pastor, for example, just writes a handwritten note, no matter how bad their handwriting is, three lines— doesn't take any more time than an email. Hey, it's great to have you with us Sunday, something like that. You can be sure they'll read it because they'll never get anything else like it. And they'll be impressed that you took the time to do it. It's really the height of personal touch today. So uh, really for the glory of God and for ministry purposes, uh, that's one of the reasons I still enjoy using fountain pens. There you go. My problem is that I managed to ruin more shirts because I forget to cap them and I stick them back <laughs> in my pocket. And there's That's a, a badge of honor, brother. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a very honored person then. Yeah. Yeah. You may convince me to do that. That might become my, uh, my uh, precious moment. I'm, 
in the months ahead. We'll see. You're you're an editor. You're a writer. How yeah, could I you know. I know. Exactly. You're also supposed to say how people can follow you, where they can follow you. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Don Whitney. My Facebook page again, Don Whitney, and then uh, my website is biblicalspirituality.org. Richard, your precious moment. I've been working on the entertainment newsletter for CT. It's sort of like newly revamped, I guess. So it's a, a list of recommendations. And one of the things I've been talking about is uh, watching the Great British Baking Show, which I finally found on Netflix. It's like tough to find on Netflix. You have to like search it just the right way. So I don't really like cooking shows at all, but I love this show. I don't know exactly why, except that it's one of the most sort of like positive healing uh, reality shows I've seen in a long time. There's nothing really manipulative about it, which is really nice. And um, I've just found myself fascinated by sort of the craft and the art of cake baking. So I've been watching that a lot every night, basically. It's kind of like what I watch before I go to sleep because it calms me, which is nice. You can follow me on, on Twitter at Dead Yet Living and check out my podcast, which is the other Christianity Today podcast called The Calling. This week's episode is with Jen Wilkin. There's an interview with her about women's ministry, and I think it's really good. People are going to like it. Well, I've been boring people with my precious moments about fly fishing lately, but I'm going to have to continue because it's spring and it's that time of year. <laughs> But I went to a club last night for the first time called Drift. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a bunch of fly tires. A fly fit, a fly, fly fishing, fly fishing, tying, tying club. club. Yeah. So I've been to other, based on some other hobbies I have that tend to be male dominated, and uh-huh. I've gone into them and I've like been totally ignored. <laughs> Like typical male thing. I'm familiar with this. Yeah, yeah. And they want nothing to do with me, or they don't know who I am, or they don't care that I'm there. (laughs) And it was really strange to walk into this room and get a really warm welcome, and then sit down with a group of about 35 guys, and we're waiting for a presentation to start, ask me to stand up and introduce myself, which I normally hate. Yeah. But when I introduced myself, there was a genuine warm welcome. So this was kind of weird to have a bunch of older white guys, overweight, (laughs) nerdy, who loved Uh fly tying. Do you think Be it so was the, friendly? Do you think it was like the the shared interest that made them made it feel so warm to you, or do you think like the leadership there is just real intentional? About I think stuff? the leadership is real intentional, and the whole tone of the group was much more humble than fly fishing can be. Yeah. Fly fishing can be very nerdy, uh, snobbish, yeah. elitist kind yes. of. Thing. All hobbies can. I've come. I to guess find. all can. But yeah. these guys were like they admitted that they when they make a fly, sometimes it really looks ugly and. They do stupid things like trip and fall in streams, and they were making self-deprecating jokes about that. And it's like, yeah, these men are human beings who just enjoy this kind of nerdy sport. I've been wanting to like join a board game group or something, but I have that I have that problem where I just am terrified of walking in, and everyone's like, "Who are you?" and "Who are you? Why, why are, are you here?" here? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's terrifying. Anyway. Well, kudos for branching out. There that, you go. <laughs> that takes that takes courage. I well, guess. I'm used to being rejected here at work, so I figure that. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind being rejected out in public as well. If you have any feedback for our show, follow us on Twitter at CT Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Don, thanks so much for joining us. This was great. So that's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. Next week, we promise Morgan will be back. Well, Lord willing, um, we're fasting about it. (laughs) Um, Exactly. The podcast is a production of Christianity Today. You can find our other podcasts by searching iTunes for Christianity Today. Remember to head to orderct.com slash quick to listen to subscribe for our lowest price. This show is produced by Richard Clark. That's me and Cray Allred. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. This helps us a lot. See you next week.